Good morning, church. How we doing? Good. We're going to be reading, if you'll turn your Bibles, to John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. And the Holy Spirit through John says, A little while and you will see me no longer, Jesus says. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home. And will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you have not left us alone in this broken, shattered, evil world. We have your helper, the Holy Spirit, and we have your word. Father, by the light of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit, show us this morning what you mean when you say you have overcome the world. Show us what you mean when you say that one day we will not have sorrow and that our sorrow will be turned into joy. Open our eyes this morning so that we may receive the oracles of God. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen. I want to deliver one message to you this morning, as I try to do every Sunday. If you're new here, I try. The text doesn't always permit, but we actually go through whole books of the Bible. We believe that God has authored the scriptures in such a way that we should read the books of the Bible as he wrote them. And so if possible, I try to boil down a nugget, because with all the things going on in your life and in your head, if you're like me, it's hard to concentrate. And I try to boil down a message so that you know what I'm trying to say. And this is what I'm trying to say this morning. Christ has vanquished the world and therefore our momentary sorrow will be turned 
into eternal joy. The Bible speaks time and time again about how Christians are persecuted, we suffer, we have sorrows, we have trials, we have tribulations, but the Bible also speaks continually about the fact that we have joy. Um, we have the peace of the Lord. The love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5 says. So it's not an unfair statement to say this. If you want to go ahead and put that one up, Josh. It's not an unfair statement to say this, to describe Christians as this. Maybe may come. We're learning. It's okay. There it is. Christians are a sorrowful, joyful people. I want you to chew on that real quick. Christians are a sorrowful, joyful people. Now, if that sounds like a contradictory statement to you, that's a Christian. And we're going to show you how this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10 says, We are, quote-unquote, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. More than any other people on earth, Christians feel the evil of sin. We feel the burden of unbelief in the world and like Jesus himself, that affects us. But we are also the only people on earth who have been promised by God that we are loved, we are kept, and we are his. And therefore, we are the most joyful people on earth. If you don't have joy in your life, God calls you today, right now, to repent of your sin, turn away, and to cast your soul on him and find life and resurrection right now. That's what God calls you. He wants to give you His joy. But if you don't have any sorrow in your life, no burden whatsoever for the lost, no pain in your heart for the darkness that abides on this earth right now, if you don't have any kind of wound looking out at the brokenness of the society that we live in, you must be living in a dream world because Jesus says... You will never be free from sorrow until Jesus returns. Verse 20. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Christians are a sorrowful, joyful people. Now, some of you might hear that and go, I mean, Abby, I understand that. I mean, we're, yeah, I get sorrowful sometimes. I, don't, I wouldn't say that Christians are a sorrowful people, though. I mean, I understand the joy part. I, I got joy. I got down, down in my heart. I don't have sorrow down, down in my heart, though. I think that'd be a reasonable response by some. The Bible continually depicts Christians as those who are afflicted, persecuted, put down, and who mourn over sin. I think it's important to understand this. Just as joy is not the same as happiness... Sorrow is not quite the same as sadness. I want to make that distinction there. Just because you're a sorrowful person doesn't mean you're weepy all the time. And actually, this is how I wanted to define godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is a holy distress at the sin, evil, and death in the world knowing that God's creation is not what He originally created to be. That's how I would define godly sorrow. Christians of all people should grieve the weight of sin and the depravity in our world. In fact, I would go so far as to say that Christians are the only people on earth who know and understand the true depths of depravity on earth. 
The world doesn't have a doctrine of total depravity. Christians do. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you are a Christian, God wants you to know and to weep and to mourn for the lost. In a way that unbelievers never could. And he wants that to drive you to tell them about Jesus. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. If you don't mourn for the lost, you will never tell them about Christ. Because I'm going to tell you, evangel- have you ever seen somebody do evangelism like out of duty instead of love? It's awful. Hey, uh, in the name of Jesus, say you save you, you say this, okay. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, let me tell you about, hey, is your, does your life like mine where you just, you know, you don't, you're confused, you don't have direction? Yeah, it is. Hey, let me tell you about my story. Let me tell you about Jesus dying on the cross for your sin. This week, the New York State Legislature passed a law that legalizes abortion all the way up until the birth of a child. I'm sure you've read this. When the law was passed, the chamber broke out in thunderous applause. The best estimates say that Planned Parenthood alone has accounted for 58 million children murdered in their wombs. Holocaust is 16 million, and yeah, put that into context. That should give us sorrow before it gives us anger, before it gives us confusion. It should make us cry out as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 16 say, Maranatha, come Lord, sorrowful. If any people on earth should feel the loss of image bearers made in the image of God, it should be Christians. If anyone should feel the loss of the dignity and worth of children, it should be us. If anyone should understand how much God loves those kids and laments their murders, it should be. Christians are a sorrowful people. We know what the Lord, we know what the world was, and now we know what the world is. But, big but, we have joy. Peter says that it's an inexpressible joy. We've been redeemed, we've been adopted, we've been saved, we've been washed, we've been cleaned, we've been set apart. John Piper defines, you know, if I was going to define joy, I had to go to John Piper. Here's what John Piper says about joy. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, in the word and in the world. That's joy. So our sorrow isn't like worldly sorrow. In fact, I would define it as we have joyful sorrow. If that's not oxymoronic in a way. Christians are a sorrowful yet joyful people. Our sorrow will come, but it will not remain. It is temporary. Verses 21 and 22. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. 
So the sorrow we have today, God is using to bring about an even greater... You, you know, I'm just thinking about this. I love when women who've had children look back at, like, somebody took a picture of them as they had the child. You know that, like, post-op, like, I just had a baby and I'm exhausted, but I'm really happy? And I, women love looking at those pictures. They do. And they like them because they can experience the joy. They remember the pain somewhat, but it doesn't matter because all they remember is how happy they were. It's the post-op picture. The dad is like in his scrubs a little bit. You know, he's clean and she's just like... <laughs> Women love those pictures because they love the joy that came afterward. I've never seen a woman look at a picture and be like, oh my. Gosh, that horrid baby. I wish it would go back. <laughs> the burden that I carry today as a Christian, the affliction, the holiness it's stirring up in me, the eternal weight of glory, as Paul would say, is birthing me for another world. That means when I hurt over broken families, you want to talk about broken families, y'all. Newton County, shattered marriages, the darkness in our world, the bitterness and the anger and the evil. If you don't have a TV, good. When I'm sorrowful over those things, I mean, you've got to be sorrowful as a Christian to look upon God's good creation, know that He's good, know that He's sovereign, see the sin and go, it's awful. But to know with the joy of the Lord, it won't last. You've got to tell yourself that every single day. This won't last. And, and what's coming, there's a little nugget of it right now in my heart. That little glory that I have in the Spirit is going to birth forth. And it's going to be, I'm going to be a part of a new cosmos. It's like God, that there's a reason that Paul calls the Spirit a down payment, if you will, for what's to come. God has orchestrated your sorrow for your good and God's glory. Our afflictions in this world are birth pains for a greater, more glorious life. Have you ever met people, when I was kind of doing the sermon... Have you ever met people that are like so cheery and happy all the time that you're just like, they've, they've, they've never had a bad day in their life? Raise your hand if you know these people. Have you met somebody who's so cheery, you're like, man, I wish they'd have a bad day. You know what I'm talking about. It's almost fake. You know, it's like, eh. You definitely got to be joyful in this life. You need joy. If you call yourself a Christian, you call upon the name of Jesus and you are touting the fact that you have been saved as a depraved sinner who's found life in the resurrection. If you claim to believe that and you don't have joy, that's a contradiction. But, someone who thinks that Jesus died to give you joy today without any suffering or sorrow whatsoever, you have completely misunderstood how salvation works. Jesus says you will have matchless joy in Christ today, but your godly sorrow will not go away until Jesus returns or you die. In fact, James says, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. So we're actually supposed to find joy in the sorrow. 
God wants the world to see Christians and to see our joy and therefore infer from our joy how valuable Jesus is. And he also wants, he also wants the world to see Christians and he wants to see us express his sorrow for the way the world is. The church has no place whatsoever for fake, robotic Christians who do not express God's heart for how evil sin is in the world. We are teaching, in some ways, the world how to lament sin. The world can get angry over sin. The world can get bitter over sin. The world can feel sad over sin. But what the world does not know how to do is have sorrow over sin. The, so the world will never be broken over sin. You will never see an unbeliever mourning over unbelief. Scripture describes Jesus in Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows. And we have his heart. God wants the world to see our brokenness over sin and to infer from that that the God who created the world doesn't like the world the way it is. So I think another way of looking at it is this. Christians know what the world used to be, but we also know what the world will be. Next, the joy we have today will increase for eternity. Our sorrow will end, but our joy will never end. And Jesus says that nobody can take our joy away from us as Christians. The world can't get inside your heart and take the joy. The world can strip you of your livelihood. The world can strip you of your dignity. The world can strip you of your house. The world can strip you of your clothes. The world can strip you of your friends. The world can strip you of your family. But they cannot take your joy. The word martyr, you know I had to grow Greek on you at least a little bit here. The word martyr comes from the Greek word marturo, which means to witness. Which means that the martyrs were just witnessing how awesome God is. That's all they were doing. God wants us to show the world how much He hates sin. We should never joke about sin. We should never make light about sin. We don't dismiss sin. But He also wants the world to see how joyful we are so that we can go, hey, I know you value that. I value Jesus more. Ignatius of Antioch, who is probably my favorite martyr in the church, he said this, Now I begin to be a disciple. I care for nothing of visible or invisible things so that I may but win Christ. Let fire in the cross. Let the company of wild beasts. Let breaking of bones and tearing of limbs. Let the grinding of the whole body and all the malice of the devil come upon me. Be it so, only may I win Christ Jesus. That's a man who says, take whatever you want. You can't take my joy. Strip everything from me, but I have Christ. You know, when you raise your hand if you've ever sh like shared Jesus with somebody and got rejected. It's, it hurts. It does. It should hurt. But it doesn't need to hurt because you're embarrassed. We have sorrow not for ourselves, we have sorrow for them. They can hurt our pride, they can insult us, they can mock us, but Christians should be untouchable people. We should not fear rejection because we fear God. Verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy 
may be full. I, I wanted to explain the difference between the prosperity gospel and the gospel, and I think I came up with this. The prosperity gospel is the lie that says God wants to eliminate all suffering and sorrow from your life today. The gospel says that God desires suffering and sorrow in your life today so that your joy, not your pocketbook, can be full. Oftentimes, I think, when God says ask for things, we ask for far too little. I want this. I want this. Things we can touch. God wants to give us the things we can't touch. Hope, joy, peace. Husbands, please. Husbands, I'm I'm talking to you for a second. Husbands, please do not pray for your wife simply to be happy. Pray that your wife would have joy because if she has joy, she can endure the days when she's not particularly happy, but she got joy. And I want to add, a spouse who is not happy and does not have joy or a, happy, or a spouse who has to be happy but doesn't have joy, that's, that's a storm brewing. The best view of the stars at night is at night. You cannot see the stars during the day. And I think the reason for that is pretty plain. We can see stars even with the light of the moon, but when the sun's out, you can't see anything but the sun. And I think the, the same principle applies to joy. Joy wants, God wants joy to be encased in burden, affliction, darkness, and suffering. Because the more suffering upon a joyful sinner, the more it shines. You will not tell a joyful Christian by how, by how happy they are in the moment. You will tell how joyful a Christian is whenever things are really, really bad. And God wants to encase that person in affliction, burden, suffering, trial, tribulation, so that what people see is nothing but a bright, burning little Christ. Just like a little star at night. And that's the Christian life. People who do not suffer well do not have joy in their lives. But a joyful, suffering Christian is a beautiful thing. I wanted to end with verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have, say it with me, overcome the world. Put that one on a bumper sticker. The Greek word there is nikaio, which means to vanquish. Jesus has vanquished the world. The world hates us. We just learned that last week. The world gives us sorrow. It afflicts us. It counts us off. It dismisses us. But the world is defeated, church. When the devil is unleashed in the last days and he's prowling around wreaking havoc on souls, Jesus will stare him in the eye and say, I've already beaten you. And I did it on Calvary. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. Our world is subject to the ruler of this age, the devil. Our families and our lives are ripped apart. Evil is rampant upon the world, and yet Jesus has vanquished the world, and the world cannot stop the flow of joy overflowing from our hearts. I received news this week that um, my youth pastor... 
Jim Howard. He baptized me and my brother. He shared Jesus with me and my brother. In some sense, I would say I wouldn't be standing here before you if uh, I didn't know Jim. Jim was a pastor in California. He had a really nice job. He always dressed really nice. I remember that. Uh, he had a child, had three kids, uh, had a wife. And uh, my brother texted me, and I remember I was at the computer, and I looked over, um, and he said that Jim had taken his own life. And, you know, Charles Spurgeon said, Bear your sorrows bravely, for they are pointed by your heavenly Father in supreme wisdom. And in that moment, I'm going, I don't see the wisdom there. I have sorrow in my heart even now. I know that Jim struggled with depression. Many people do. You know, we thought he'd gotten over that. My heart is heavy. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Everything, every sorrow, every ounce of pain, every trial, every burden is in God's hand. And none of it is by chance. And the victory is at the cross. And so I have to take my small mustard seed of faith and I have to apply it to this situation even now and I have to go, I am hurting uncontrollably. But I'm not going to go to bed tonight with despair. Neither should you. Because I know that Jesus has overcome the world. And the real battle is won even now. Don't feel like a bad Christian because you have sorrow. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you are a Christian, you should have sorrow. If you have a spiritual pulse in your body, don't blink an eye at sin. But are we living as a victorious people? Are we upset over the things we see? Do we get bitter and do we get angry? and Do we, do we care about things that don't matter? Or do we find victory in the cross and have joy in what is to come? Because the Bible says that Jim tasted sorrow, but his sorrow was turned to joy. God wants his victory to be our joy. He wants us to live with joy and sorrow. And we have to balance that in the Christian life. But one day we won't have to balance that. One day there will be no looking back. In fact, God says we'll be like a mom who just had a kid. We won't even care. That's our hope. This morning, if you have sorrow and sadness in your life, I invite you to have joy in Jesus. Because if you believe in the cross, God says no one will ever be able to take that away. I invite you to come. Let's pray. Father, we have such sorrow as we mourn over sin. We have such heavy hearts because we see so much darkness. 
Father, I ask that you give us strength to get through the day. You give us faith to believe in you. You give us the peace that transcends all understanding. But above all things, Father, I pray that we have the joy of the Lord to combat such a depressing, dark world. So that our love for you and our joy in your victory may surmount any obstacle you put in our way. Father, thank you for the cross. I pray that we may share your burden for the loss and we may share the joy of the Lord. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.